You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. My guests for this podcast are two government communicators from the U.S. Department of State. Uh, On the line, I have Liz Murphy. She is a Foreign Service Officer. And uh, Billy Gross, she's a Public Affairs Specialist. And they are both uh, currently at the Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs um, at the State Department. Billy, start. tell us what is the Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs? Well, the Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs um, under the Global Affairs um, Bureau of the U.S. Department of State, basically what we do, we have nearly 200 employees and we promote transformational diplomacy through advancing environmental stewardship, encouraging economic growth, and promoting social development around the globe. And we, we do that through a variety of programs and activities concerning a wide, wide range of issues, such as infectious diseases, biodiversity, climate change, access to water, um, ocean issues, etc., and um, for example, um, we have an office, the Office of Marine Conservation, and their primary responsibility um, is for the international conservation and management of living marine resources. Um, our Polar Affairs Office has the primary responsibility for ocean law and policy. Um, and then we have an Office um, of Environmental Policy, which coordinates the U.S. approaches to transboundary air quality issues and safeguarding the stratospheric ozone layer and um, also environmentally sound chemicals management. So those are just a few of the offices we have, um, and some examples of things that we work on um, in the Bureau. And, of course, our, our, one of our big issues um, is global climate change, um, which we are getting ready to head into the 15th session, 15th session um, of the Conference of the Parties um, in the U.N. Framework Convention on Climate Change um, in December. Uh, and and December I, do want, I do want to talk about that, Billy. But before mm-hmm. we jump right into that, just sort of set the stage for us. You know, the, the, the issue, climate change as an issue, is not without its own fair dose of controversy. So what I'd like to know first is where are we with respect to the scientific community's consensus on climate change. I mean, is it still hotly debated, or have we reached consensus? And if so, what is it? Well, I, I think. Oh, go ahead, Liz. Oh, okay. Um, this is this is Liz Murphy. Um, I, the the scientific consensus is overwhelmingly clear. Um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, the IPCC, uh, which which has a great website for anyone who's interested in looking up some of their detailed reports. Um, the, the IPCC is the world's authoritative body. It's, it's a, a huge amount of scientists that, that come together uh, to, to study these questions. Um, many scientists from the United States, many leading scientists from other countries as well. Um, many of you are probably aware that the IPCC shared the Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore in 2007, um, thanks to their definitive work on climate change and trying to uh, share the scientific information on the threat of climate change with, with publics across the globe. Um, the IPCC's consensus is, is very clear, um, that climate change is, is a real and present danger, and, um, and that we've all got to act about it now. 
Got it. Now, on a per, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is on a per capita basis, U.S. emissions are among the world's highest. Is that is that true? Our our emissions on a per capita basis are high. Um, I, I don't have the stats in 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 front of me. Um, I, I think that we're all mindful of the need to reduce the U.S. emissions profile overall. Got um, it. Yeah. And, and you certainly see that with, with some of the new policies this year. So I, I'm curious to know from a communication standpoint, because obviously you are both charged with supporting um, the work of the delegation, uh, the U.S.-led delegation that's going to go to the Copenhagen Climate Change Conference. You know, I'm thinking back um, just a few years ago when the U.S. pretty much walked away from the Kyoto Treaty, much to the dismay of the rest of the developed world. Um I'm curious to know, in the global community of nations concerned about CO2 emissions, how would you say most non-U.S. citizens feel about us? I think there has been a wonderful international response to to um, our renewed engagement at the International Forum. Uh, we saw a very interesting reaction with the new team, um, the, 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 with the new administration's negotiating teams first. Uh, First appearance at the UN Framework Convention negotiations um, after after the transition, um, an overwhelming outpouring of you know support. You know, we're, we're glad you're here, um, which which was wonderful. But you know, obviously the work continues. Um, I think people are responding well to our continued engagement. Um, you certainly see uh, a, a lot of outreach and climate mentioned in in most of the high level international trips, particularly lately. And I think people are responding well to the fact that that climate is is in the conversation. When um, uh, a PR person gets onto the blogosphere, you know, I always tell them, you know, you're a spin doctor before you even start talking. That's why you're considered by the community. You know, we're in many ways distrusted before we even open our mouths, um, whether what we say is honest or not. So I've always thought, well, you can't really be an effective communicator unless you uh, can honestly take stock of what the community thinks of you before you start talking. So, I mean, can you sort of characterize what you're up against? Sure, um, and, and it, it varies very much by region as well. Um, you, you know, we, there are so many different concerns within the climate community. You, you know, the, the developed countries in Europe have so many different concerns from the developing countries in Africa. You know, Europe wants to, for example, Europe might want to push us on hard emissions targets, whereas developing countries in Africa are looking more toward, hmm, what are the U.S. and other developed countries going to do in terms of financing? You know, um, so it's, it's very region-specific, a lot of what we see. Um, you, you know, we get something entirely different from the, the small island developing states. We have a totally different uh, set of comments from, from Asian countries, which are concerned. Um, many are concerned about their own development and growth and, you know, want to make sure that their actions still permit room for growth. So a very, very wide-ranging set of concerns that we, we face. Liz, Billy, you're both members of a delegation of diplomats from the State Department going to attend the uh, Copenhagen Climate Change Conference organized by the United Nations. Uh, What's at stake, and what does the U.S. hope to achieve there? Uh, The the conference in Copenhagen is is, is a critical step on on the search for um, for a post-2012 climate agreement on the actions we can take. Um, We're we're very much looking for Copenhagen to be an important step forward, um, including some operational. uh, As as Deputy National Security Advisor Michael Froman said, he wants it to be an important step forward, including with operational impact. So we're we're looking for something substantial, although, you know, probably not with every single 
T crossed and I dotted. Got it. Um, I want to read a passage from a story that ran in the New York Times on November 14th, this coming out of the Economic Summit in Singapore. It says, President Obama and other world leaders have decided to put off the difficult task of reaching a climate change agreement at a global climate conference scheduled for next month, agreeing instead to make it a mission of the Copenhagen Conference to reach a less specific, quote, politically binding, unquote, agreement that would punt the most difficult issues into the future. Um, no doubt uh, you guys are all aware of, of, of this, and I wonder, I mean, how does this impact your ability to do your job? I mean, has this made it tougher? Well, Eric, I would say that it, while, you know, the job has, at times, it's always has been difficult and going to be difficult because it's just the nature of our jobs and communications. But in reality, um, it doesn't so complicate it so much more because our mission um, aside from the negotiations and what's going to go on when the delegation is on the ground in Copenhagen. As communicators, we have a mission to highlight the United States and what the United States has been doing um, and will continue to do to address climate change and to show at a, at a federal level and at a state level and at a local level what the work that is being done here on the ground, the work that um, a lot of our other our domestic agencies are doing um, to address this problem. And so going into Copenhagen, that's actually, for Liz and I, that's a big part of our mission and what we've been focused on. And so, you know, you have the negotiations and it's very important, but... In addition, you know, this is, is our focus to show the world that the U.S., you know, has been active and, and will continue to be even more active and even more engaged in addressing climate change. I have a question here from a Twitter friend of mine from Propel Media Events uh, on Twitter at, at Propel Media. And the question is, um, where do you begin? What type of social media plan did you start with and what are the key metrics to ensure success? And he's asking, obviously, about the use of social media to support uh, the U.S. delegation's participation at the climate change conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's that's a good question, and um, and actually, you know, the the whole world of social media um, is, is sort of um, the State Department sort of jumped in, you know, feet first into using all of these tools. And um, Secretary of State Clinton, um, she's very pro using these platforms um, as a means of, of outreach and communication. So very early on when she arrived, um, the State Department began implementing um, Facebook and Twitter um, into um, how it did its everyday outreach. So for us, it was merely a matter of taking a look at what the department is already doing as a whole um, to, to promote diplomacy and to um, tell America's story and, and to do outreach and communication and say, how can we apply that to what we're doing at sort of a smaller scale to this conference and just sort of, you know, making a list of the tools available and consulting with, you know, the policy people and our main public affairs offices um, to say, this is what we're thinking of doing. We want to use these tools, you know, getting the green light. And um, that is sort of just the starting point, just piggybacking on the work that's already done. Um, You know, the State Department had already, they started their own blog um, actually last year. Um, the State Department has an official blog. It's called DipNote. Um, you can find it at blogs.state.gov. And so, you know, we already had that sort of infrastructure in place, you know, all set for us to use as a platform for blogging as we move into the conference. Um, so it wasn't that difficult to sort of pull this all together and, and frame it um, for the, 
UN conference. Um, I, you know, I interviewed a fellow by the name of Matt Armstrong uh, in the summer, and I released it uh, as a podcast. I'll have a link in the show notes. He has a blog called Mountain Runner at mountainrunner.us, and he's been fairly critical of the U.S. Department of State in his blog. Um, and his criticism stems from the Smith-Munt Act, which apparently is a congressional act. I, I'm not – you know, I can't talk mm-hmm. about it in detail, but my understanding is it's a congressional act that established the State Department and that the State Department was originally established to communicate with foreign audiences. Mm-hmm. But once you take those communications online, you can't segment whether you're talking to the international community or the domestic community. Has that presented any challenges to you as a communicator? Um, for the most part, um, I would say no. Moving into these these new and social media formats, um, as you said, when you get into sort of the, the web and web-based um, tools, it sort of blurs those lines. And, and because Smith-Mutt really comes down to an issue of funding um, and what you're using, you know, government funds and U.S. taxpayer dollars for. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. When you when you talk about things like setting up a Facebook page, you know, that's just you know, it, it you sort of don't have to worry about that as much. So I haven't found in, in sort of using, um, you know, Facebook and of course you have Dipno, that's the State Department's blog. So and Dipno then has the Twitter account. So it hasn't really um, gotten in the way. Of, of me doing what I need to do, I would say that, um, you know, because we are a government agency, you know, everything we do, we want to have policies in place. And um, a lot of these new and social media techniques, it was like a boom. And all of a sudden, everybody was on Facebook and everybody was on Twitter. And so sometimes it's not as easy to get the policies written correctly and in place in time to sort of catch up with the technological advances. But our policy people are working very hard to do that. Um, but so far, you know, despite that, we've still been able to, to do our jobs and get our messages out there. Now, Billy, I know um, the U.S. Department of State recently launched a Facebook page uh, for updates on the climate change conference. Um, t- tell me, first of all, you know, what was involved in setting that up? You know, how did you get approval to do that? How many people, what kind of resources did you have to establish the page? And, and what's your plan? What are you hoping to do with the page? Um, well, yes, we did um, set up the, the Facebook page um, specifically for the conference. And like I said, the State Department ha- already had their um, State Department Facebook page um, in place and set up and with a fan base already there. And um, like I said, the policy, you know, is still sort of in process. So, you know, it really came down to me just calling our digital communications office and our public affairs bureau and saying, you know, we'd like to set up this page, a Facebook page for the conference. We think it'd be a really great way to, you know, reach and audiences with real-time updates and let them know what's going on. Um, it's a faster way to do that because setting up a website takes longer for us. Um, you know, what do I need to do? And they said, well, basically, if you have a Facebook account, you go ahead and you set up your, your fan page. And if you were to leave, then you would just transfer it over to somebody else to be the administrator. But for now, you set it up on your own Facebook and um, you build it from there. And so then from after that, I went and took, I took a look at um, the department's main page. Um, I know our uh, global women's issue office, they have a Facebook page. Some of the embassies have pages. Well, a lot of the embassies have pages. And I looked at how they structure their pages, the type of information they put, the type of feedback they get for ideas on what would be the best way to, to model our page. Cause we also want a consistent look um, for the pages because they're, 
are all representing the Department of State, um, even down to our URL. You know, it's sort of a, a consistent um, look for the way we chose that so that you still see, you know, we are an organization, we are cohesive, but we're working on a lot of different issues. Now, how, do you, how are you going to judge whether or not it was successful? Well, um, for starters, the fans, um, you know, so, so the building fans. that fan base. So how many, yeah, fans, fans. how many fans so far? Um, so far, we're approaching the 300 mark, I believe. Um, and, and in order to, to sort of build that, we've been doing email pushes, highlighting, um, you know, the page to, to universities and to NGO groups, letting them know, hey, this page is here. You know, this is where you want to come to get information, real-time information about the conference. Um, and so that'll be, and so we're still working, and then we have a lot of other constituencies we're going to continue to reach out to to just let them know, to raise awareness about the page. Billy, are you familiar with the Citizens Briefing Book that the Obama transition team put together for the president? Yes. So Yes, I have. Do you know? I'm, I mean, I'm not at length familiar with it, but I've heard about it. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar, it was basically a survey conducted online. People could vote on issues, and uh, the transition team presented it to the president as a way of presenting to the president what was important to the people rather than just what's important to Congress and special interests. I wonder if you know where global warming you know, ranked as an issue you know, as far as people are concerned. Um, that I actually don't know. For that particular project, I'm not sure exactly where climate change ranked. I do know that um, I've seen a lot of surveys and taken a lot of surveys and throughout, you know, campaigns and transitions and, you know, even recently where they, they you know, will give you a list of various issues like economics, health care, climate change, and ask you to pick. And I always notice that climate change does fall very high on a lot of those surveys. But for this particular um this initiative, I'm not sure exactly where it fell. You know, in that. it's the irony. I was actually searching for the Citizens Briefing book online prior to our phone call, and I couldn't find it. And then I read that it had been taken down uh, because the administration was embarrassed because, you know, the irony of the internet is that the number one issue in the Citizens Briefing book was legalizing marijuana. It's like the great thing about the internet you can get all this great information and then also yeah. see videos of hamsters. <laughs> Um, but what what I wonder is, you know, if 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 climate change is such an important issue, and it appears to be, it's hotly discussed, it's uh, frequently in the news. You know, what is how do you translate that into social media so that people, you know, fan up a Facebook page? Because obviously, there's more than 300 people in this country in the U.S. that are concerned with climate change, yet there's only 300 fans. So. You know, right. how do you extend how, how do you how do you sort of tap in to the popular nerve and get people to fan up the page? And and also, if they did fan up the page, would that be a testament to legislators that hey, this is an important issue? Well, I think that um for one thing, I mean, you know, I think word of mouth is key. Just getting the word out to let people know that the page is there, that there is a page for the UN Climate Change Conference, there is a page that the U.S. government has that you can come to that you will be able to, for example, I mean, we have this amazing initiative that's going to be going on in the, on the ground in Copenhagen um, called the U.S. Center that's going to feature, I believe, over 60 sites. Uh, over 75. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> wow. So, um, over 75 in, what? Um, side events, and Liz can probably explain a little bit more before I continue about that. 
They're a combination of, of panels and, and, you know, interactive talks between people on the ground live in Copenhagen and, and students, you know, back in the United States or in other countries. Um, we'll, we'll be interacting with, uh, with a number of audiences identified by our embassies around the world. Um, really exciting stuff. Um, great, great panel discussions on everything from the state of the science on climate to U.S. actions on climate to um, multilateral partnerships where, where we're working with a number of nations together to advance climate solutions. So really interesting stuff and all available on the web. We'll have a link to the Facebook page in the show notes. Now, you guys are also launching a new website. Yes, um, we are. Um, we are hoping um, – we're planning to launch next week, um, and the web address will be www.cop15, that's cop gov. And basically, this um, – website will be sort of the center of online outreach and will house all of the content generated from the U.S. Center on the ground. Um, it will have a schedule of events of all of the um, presentations and events that are going on in the U.S. Center. There will be links to view the live webcast of all of the programs. There will be links for people to watch the videos of the programs if they can't tune in due to time differences or what have you um, to the events live photos and, and any other documents generated from that event, you're going to be able to find all of it on this website. Um, press briefings, interventions from, from the actual negotiations, that type of information. And also there will be a really extensive links page with links to all um, other U.S. government climate change pages at all the different agencies so people can see you know, just all of the work that we're doing, um, not just at the State Department, but and other agencies like um, EPA and NOAA and NASA and Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, everywhere. What will, um, so the difference, what will the difference be between the type of content featured on the website and the type of content featured in the Facebook page? And how will, the, how will they relate to one another? Well, they'll be, in essence, they'll be very similar. I think the difference with the Facebook page is, um, for one, the Facebook page, I feel, being a Facebook, an avid Facebook user, I feel that the Facebook page will be a way to reach people that would probably not necessarily come to, um, you know, the Department of State website or even the COP15.gov website, um, you know, especially seeing the young people, a lot of NGO groups. Um, so... And also the Facebook page will be able to provide those real-time updates because I will be on the ground in Copenhagen, and I personally will be updating the Facebook page um, constantly, all day, every day. And so they will be more real-time updates as opposed to content for our website. We have to send it back here to Washington and have it uploaded through our main, our web matches, the main PA Bureau. So there will be a little time lapse. Um, so Facebook will be more real time. The links will be more, you know, immediate. You can immediately click in to join um, live cast. And um, then also, you know, there's discussion features on Facebook. People can post comments, questions. We've already had people uploading some of their own clips and videos, and, and making comments. So there's that more interactive feel with the Facebook page. So will we be able to? Well, first of all, the default page on the Facebook page. I know now you can file comments there. And mm-hmm. um, and those those comments actually show up on the same page with uh, the administrator comments, which mm-hmm. I know is a design choice. Some people will only put the fan comments on a separate tab, so mm-hmm. they don't show up right away. Um, why? You know, obviously it's a little more risky to just take anything up there without screening it. Um, what went into that decision? 
Well, we under, I mean, we understand with Facebook that you can always go back and pull things off the page. And But when we look at our other department Facebook pages and even our, our Dipno blog, you know, we just don't run into a lot of problems with having to remove content. But, you know, even if, if something shows up initially, we, if it's a big problem, we know we always reserve the right to go back and remove it because it's, it's our page. But it's just not something that has been a big issue since the department's been using Facebook. So, and I mean, the point of Facebook, it is social media. It's a way for people to come and interact. And I understand that. And I understand that people care about climate. They care about the environment. So do we. And, you know, they want to make comments and interact with their peers. And I don't see a problem with our page being a way to do that, to encourage discussion and insight and sharing information. So that's how we have it set for now. If we had to change it, you know, we will. But at this point, I think it's perfectly fine. What about web video? Uh, how are you, what's, what are the plans for using web video to extend the reach of, of what happens at the conference? Um, you mean as far as the, is the live casting? Yeah. Or are you well, talking in terms of like sure. YouTube? Yeah. Both. Well, well, and we will, and actually, it, it's for us, it's sort of a one and the same in that all of our events will be live streamed, but at the same time, they will be, we will have video and audio recordings of everything as well. So, when what you we're say our to, events, do you mean just events just, that the U.S. is involved with, or every event all, at the conference? All of the, the U.S. Um, events at the U.S. Center. So, this like what if North Korea, plus, if North Korea says something nasty, will you, will you stream that too? Um... Probably not, only because we probably won't be, it won't happen in the U.S. Center, and this is where um, all of our cameras will be set up. It's, it's a big space, and our cameras will be set up in that center. So if, if How somebody many square is something feet? Is, How many square feet you got? Oh, goodness. Liz, can you remember oh, the number? Um, I, no. Off the top it's actually done in square meters. <laughs> but it, 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 think of like a big classroom. It's, it's like two really big classrooms next okay. to each other. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. And what, right. what type of uh, connection will you have in there? What type of internet connection? Um, we have it set up for a high-speed internet connection. Um, and so all that's worked out. And actually, the State Department has a um, license to use a product called um, Adobe Connects. And um, so that's what we will be using to live stream the events. Um, and you guys use that, that in Ghana as well, Ghana and Cairo, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, how many people were you able to get on that? Um, I don't I'm know. Sure. We, we weren't involved in those events. Um, we're, we're hopeful that we can get up to, you know, maybe up to several thousand in some of the ones here. And you, you, we're through remote servers. I mean, we, we think we could handle unlimited demand. So tell mm-hmm. everyone to log on. Wow. And, and and where will people be able to, to find the links to that? I guess through the Facebook page and through the through, uh, yes, of everywhere. We hope we're gonna post links, the links and the schedule on the COP fifteen website. We will post the links on Facebook. We will have um, the we will have Dipnote tweet the links out on Twitter. Um, so on every every method um, we can use to get those links out to people we will use. Now, and then now we hope to have this. Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say we just um, we hope to have. Um, well, we plan to have all of the videos of the content available through the COP15 website and full length. You know, if it's an hour presentation, you get the whole hour. And we also plan to make them accessible via YouTube as well. Now, Billy, how big is your staff? Um, as far as well, the staff for the conference. Um, 
going in, it's for the U.S. Center. It's actually about, is it about maybe 10 of us, you think, Liz? Um, I would say tops. We'll, we'll have some, some during the conference help with people who are kind of coming in to, to backstop us, but, but the people who've actively been doing a bunch of the planning, is, it's a very small core team, or, uh, under 10, I'd say, who've been working on it for a month. Yeah. So we'll I, get help from embassies, people, communications people from some of the embassies will come in and help. And um, so we'll, we'll have a bigger team on the ground than what we're working with right now in Washington. Well, that actually Everybody's got brings me to the, to the next challenge. question, and this also from a, a Twitter friend of mine by the name of George Clark, and he tweets at, at @RazorJ, and I'll have a link to um, his Twitter ID in the show notes. And his question is, um, how will you use the state's field network, embassies, consulates, etc., to enhance your approach to social media? For the social media aspect, um, it's fortunately we sort of already had that sort of mechanism built in because so many so many of the embassies have their facebook pages um set up already so it's just a matter of getting them the links you know getting them the information so they can highlight so they can pull their fans in pull their audiences in um and also with um the way it works we have um public diplomacy officers on the ground at the embassies, but we also have um, PD officers, public diplomacy officers here at the State Department in Washington who can help coordinate with those people on the ground at embassies to let them know what's going on, to help them um, get audiences in, get groups in, to view live webcasts and do web chats um, and all of that. And Liz, you know, can maybe elaborate more because she's working a lot with these individual programs, um, so she may have something to add to that. Absolutely. We're, we're making a, a very concerted effort to tap into those embassy networks. Um, particularly, um, we're, we're targeting a couple of the web chats. We have some staff limitations that we can't have a web chat with every single event, although we will webcast every every event live. Only some will have additional web chats at the end. And we're working very closely with our different regional PD offices, um, again, to, to kind of think of some of those regionally specific topics of interest. So, so you know, we're, for, for um, Western Hemisphere countries that may have a greater than average interest in uh, deforestation, uh, avoided deforestation, we're trying to work with them to identify appropriate side events um, for them to reach out to their best contacts on the ground who would be interested in hearing such a presentation live from Copenhagen and asking questions to the speakers. So we're really tapping into networks like that to have particularly dynamic web chats, you know, kind of addressing specific areas of interest. Um, final question. Um, what foreign policy changes uh, could the U.S. make that would be most likely to um, reduce our CO2 emissions? Foreign policy changes? Hmm. Um, I'm sure you're already aware of the many domestic uh, actions we're taking as well. Um, the domestic actions are such a big piece of the picture. Um, and, and, and I think that's something we're looking at exploring. Uh, it, it, in, in the negotiations, you know, it, there, there's a key phrase in the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, you, you know, um, common but differentiated responsibility, uh, common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities. Um, it, to, to translate that unofficially into layman's terms, it's that every country must act in the way it best can. Um, what, what we do wouldn't wouldn't and shouldn't be exactly the same as what China would do or what Ghana would do, you know, because the shape of our economies are so different. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges facing negotiators in, in the foreign policy arena is how to get the appropriate national actions at home 
you know, um, with, with teeth to really make them happen, to really make sure that that's enforceable, how to get that into, you know, a, an international agreement that works. You know, so I, I don't, I don't know that the foreign policy is, is separable from the domestic policy in that sense. I, I, I don't know that there's an easy way to answer that. You know, I said it was the last question, but I have one more question. Okay. If, if, if either, I'd like to hear, hear both your answers from this too. If, if, if you were to you know, exit the State Department after this conference, what lessons from a communication standpoint, professional communicator's standpoint, have you learned that you think would be applicable to the private sector? Hmm. It's a great question. Um, that is a great, great question. I think for me, it's, it's, it's hard for me to answer that because, um, honestly, I came to the State Department while I was working on my master's in public relations. And, and so while public relations and public affairs is very similar, um, doing communications in the government is very different from, can be very different from the private sector. So, um, but in reality, this was really my first or is my first communications job. So really everything that I've learned has been new and exciting and interesting um, for me. So I just think, I don't know, like I think, I think there's a lot of similarities, you know, I mean, the way we do, um, we do press releases, you know, we write speeches, we do remarks. I mean, there's a lot of similarities um, to this the private sector versus the government. I would say we have maybe a lengthier chain of command here because we have a lot of big bosses, a lot of important bosses, um, and just really having to um, try to be proactive and, and get ahead and anticipate for us is so much more important because we know we have that lengthier chain of command and things just take longer. And so we can't always be, um, you know, we can't always be as, as immediate and instant as probably in, in the private sector you can be because we have that chain of command to go through. Um, a lot of clearances, just a lot of people need to see, you know, the documents and, and put their input. And so um, I think just a good strategic planning, I think, is the key for us. And I think that translates, you know, to any communicator. I, I've had very interesting experiences here in the government working with multiple audiences, and um, and, and I'm a foreign service officer, which is, which is different from, from Billy, you know, gaining the issue expertise for years, whereas I, I tend to move countries every two or three years. So it's, it's a new challenge every time, you, you know, get... Um, get the different foreign audiences have very different concerns. Um, you know, certainly here in in this tour in the climate office, that's been a whole new set of concerns with so many different kinds of stakeholders in the climate process. Everybody from NGOs to the business community to academics to um to to our our, our colleagues, um, our, our fellow government communicators and fellow government officials, um, and the experience in trying to tailor our messages trying to find the best ways to reach all of the, these different audiences um, has been invaluable. I, I think that is something that would be that will be very helpful in, in any future steps I, I take. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, taking the time to do this. You know, while we've been uh, on this call, I actually received an email from Exchanges Connect, which is the Ning site of the State Department, and I'll read the message. It says, a message to all exchanges, all members of Exchanges Connect, Today, we're launching the second annual Exchanges Connect video contest. Enter your original video, and you will have a chance to win an all-expense-paid international exchange program from the U.S. Department of State. Together with U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, we invite you to address this year's theme, quote, Change Your Climate, 
change our world. Tell us in a uh, video, two minutes or less, how you're making the community a better place and contributing to a healthier, safer, cleaner, and more peaceful world for all of us. And there's a link of where you can enter that. I'll have that link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Um, and I want to also uh, thank uh, Propel Media Events, at Propel Media, for the questions submitted via Twitter, and George Clark, at Razor.J, and we'll have links to both of their Twitter IDs in the show notes. And uh, again, Liz and Billy, uh, good luck in Copenhagen, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.